All right, we are kicking off. Thank you so much, Albert. I love the Aloha shirt in Christmas. I lo- that's, that, that's the warm weather we needed right there. Well, um, we're kicking off our Christmas series um, we've entitled Joy to Your World. Uh, several years ago, we, had, uh, we wanted just the world to know about the joy of the season. So on the church here on the roof, we got some really huge wooden letters and put joy out on the roof over here and lit it up. And uh, we had a big windstorm come through and it broke our letter J off. Just it was broken. And for several weeks, it just said, oi. And, uh, <laughs> and so we want to wish you oi to your world, all right? Um, as we go into this season, but not just joy to the world overall, but joy to your world. That's this season is not just sometimes we think, you know, it's just kind of a general statement about everybody, but this is a, this is a joy to your world. There's joy that is brought to your experience, your life through the birth of Christ. So, um, over the next weeks leading into Christmas and through the Advent season, we're going to be looking at some, taking some like vignettes, some, some characters in the nativity story. And taking a look at them and see how Christ's birth brought joy to their world and how that relates to us. So um, the Christmas story in the Gospels, especially in the book of Luke, is just replete with uh, a steady stream of just profound expressions of joy. From the beginning, when you start reading it, all the way through to when the Magi visit and all that, it's just joy, 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 repeated over and over, uh, either joy or joyful or one of its derivatives. And so this morning, we're going to start by looking at uh, two of the earliest characters that make an appearance in the story, and they're kind of the central characters outside of Jesus, and that is of Mary and Joseph, all right? So if you have your Bibles, open them with me to the book of Luke. We're going to primarily be in the book of Luke, chapter 1, and we'll start in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says this. So God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. So, Mary is this young woman... And we see here from this very first couple of verses, she has her life pretty much planned out. She's done it all by the book. She is now engaged. Um, the, the actual word is betrothed, which we'll talk about a little more in just a minute. But she's committed to this guy she's going to be married to. And uh, engagement's an exciting time because it's just like you're on the precipice of a whole new season of life and everything seems possible. I remember when I uh, proposed to Hosanna, uh, I, I had the proposal. Luckily, she said yes for many reasons, but one of them was to save me some embarrassment because I had worked out with her roommate to bring all our friends over to her apartment after I had proposed, and when she got home and we opened the door to let her in, everyone was there, and so we took this, they took this picture after they shot off all the confetti poppers as we came in the house, and uh, this was after we, she had said yes, and we all got to celebrate together, and it was so much fun, and, uh, and, and we, we celebrated that, and I think of Mary and Joseph having this, this uh, what an emotional experience of commitment to life together, and in the next, within the next year, they are going to be starting their life, and all the possibilities that are out in front of them. 
I, I just was reminded of that when we got married. Just this, like, uh, the, the, the dreams that you have for one another. The dreams you have for your future. And so, they, they, of children and all these things that are there. And so their engagement, as I mentioned, wasn't an engagement. It was called a betrothal, which is a little different. You actually got engaged much younger because usually the parents would set it up. And that was the engagement. Where the parents would set it up when they're but wee tykes. And then when they got of age, they were betrothed to one another. And that was an actual legally binding document. You would go into the temple, you would sign some documents to say, we are betrothed. It was a commitment on the level of marriage without the sexual intimacy and living together. And so for the next year at least, they would live betrothed, and that's what they were, and Mary was living her life virtuously. She was saving her intimacy for when she would be married to her man, and uh, Joseph, he was no slouch either, he had... um, taken up what was probably the family business. He, he was uh, uh, trained as a carpenter. He had a trade. And in Matthew 1.19, it tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. Righteous means doing the right thing, right? Righteous. Um, my boys and I, every morning when I uh, pray with them before they go to school, usually it's right before I drop them off at the school door, we pray, God, give us the courage to make the right choices even when they aren't the easy choices. And so uh, Joseph was a man that made the right choices. Not always the easy ones, but the right ones. And he was a righteous man. And so uh, he, made, he was a righteous man. He was um, doing the right thing. And, and Joseph would have been busy. If you remember when we've talked about this in the past, what happens when you get betrothed to someone? What does the man do? He goes and plays video games and watches football until the wedding day, right? And he's like, what color tux? Okay, I'll go pick it up. He's building. He's building a house. He's building the house for him and his wife. He's preparing for their new life together. So he's been working on his house. He's getting his plans ready for them to live together. And in all of this momentum moving forward for the rest of their lives, in just a moment, Mary and Joseph's lives would be upended in the most abrupt way you could possibly imagine. In Luke chapter 1, it goes on in verse 28. So we see here she's betrothed to be married to this guy. Verse 28. Gabriel who's an angel, appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think of what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, and he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Sometimes I think when we hear this story, we just think, cool. Like, that's, that's pretty neat. Mary just found out she gets to be uh, God incarnate's earth mom. Like, that's neat, you know? What an honor. Uh, But this would have been earth-shaking news. This would have been life-altering information. Terrifying information. It says here that, that, that she was confused and disturbed. At what this this was, so her her world was flipped upside down, just like the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? <laughs> just like, whoa! And so her world has come crashing down around her. What a crazy amount of information! I remember when Hosanna told me that we were pregnant with Gavin. I came home from work, was walking in, thinking I'm going to make myself a corn dog, and she said, "By the way," and it, it was the best news, but it was overwhelming. I was like, "Whoa, we're having a baby!" Imagine being told you're having a baby and it's God's baby 
and you've got this information now. And, and so, uh, have you ever had a situation where your plans get upended, though? Like, things are cruising forward, and a stick just gets thrown into the front forks of your, of your bike. You know, that kind of thing, where just suddenly everything slams to a stop. Uh, on one level, our family this last summer had plans to go visit um, Hosanna's parents in Guam uh, because it's been several years since we've been there. We had all, this, all the airfare worked out. We've been looking forward to it for over a year. And just a couple weeks before we were set to take off, a typhoon came through and literally went right over the center of Guam and uh, was devastating. Our church sent finances, by the way, to help with the rebuilding and, and, and sent uh, help through the Convoy of Hope for what happened in Guam. But that suddenly slammed the brakes on that trip, and our summer just changed. We make a, made a quick pivot. We're like, road trip, I guess it is. And so we drove around a little bit uh, up through Northern California, spent some time. But we have those times where maybe it's, it's, it's a trip, maybe it's a vacation, but maybe it's something even more seismic and life-altering. Maybe for you, you have an unexpected interruption that's like a health diagnosis you did not expect you'd see. Maybe it's a, a relationship that you didn't know it, but it implodes. It just ran into a brick wall. Or maybe it's your employment that was terminated and it was just unpredictable. So we all have these moments where life feels like it just suddenly comes to a screeching halt. And this news for Mary and Joseph would have had massive implications. For one, it would have meant social ostracism for them. Uh, And for Mary, it could have even been deadly. Because... When Mary tells Joseph, her fiancé, she's pregnant, he knows it's not his baby. He, he knows where he's been, right? Uh, but he's a good guy, right? He'll understand when she's like, it's God's baby. He's going to be like, oh, okay, God's baby, right? Does he believe her? No, he doesn't. He's not an idiot. I'm sorry, if someone came to me and said, okay, I got a story for you, I'm pregnant, but an angel told me it's God's, I'd be like, "Uh uh-huh, right? It's probably, the conversation probably went exactly as Mary had feared when she told Joseph the news. And Joseph had three options when she told him that she was pregnant. First of all, he could expose her publicly as an unfaithful woman. And that's where the real risk to Mary's life would exist because by Jewish law, she could be executed. Uh, We know the story later on in Jesus' life when he stops the stoning of a woman who was caught in adultery, right? Sexual sin, especially for women, was brutal in its punishment and and how that that punishment was exacted. And so uh, he could have exposed her publicly. It would have saved face for him. He would have looked like a hero, perhaps. Second option is he could privately divorce her. That was, again, a legal matter. He would have to go to the temple and fill out a written notice of divorce. Or the third option is he could marry her. Exodus chapter 22 gives provision that if they had relations together, that they could be married under the law. But Joseph, the thing is, had nothing to do with this. That's not his baby. We know the story we talked a few weeks ago about uh, King David in Bathsheba, right? He got her pregnant. He was able to marry her under Exodus 22 law. So here we got Joseph. He could marry Mary, 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 um, under the law, but that wasn't his baby. So he went with option number two, Matthew chapter one, verse 19. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. 
And as he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I've puzzled over this often. Why didn't the angel tell Joseph the news about this, like, right after Mary? That could have saved a really tough conversation for Mary. Him having to go through the, I'm going to do a divorce thing. Uh, I don't understand it. For both of these, though, this was a life-altering interruption. And eventually, Joseph hears what's going on. And, and, and imagine them telling the news to their family members and their friends. I can't... We, we live in a culture today where having a child outside of matrimony is... People hardly bat an eye. But in... Especially in first century, first century Israel, this was considered a massive, massive uh, embarrassment to the family and uh, sin before God. And so, uh, several years ago, a company made a video that was about what if there was social media at the time of Jesus being born. And it kind of unpacks what that would look like in maybe today's time. Now, it was made several years ago. You'll notice like, it's like the old school Facebook for, for those of you that are like, that looks old. It is old. But uh, this is kind of a, a concept of what it would have looked like if Jesus had been born when there was social media. Take a look.
So there's a modern kind of spin on, on maybe how... I thought it was interesting about the friends unfriending yeah. Joseph. It's probably pretty true. You don't want to have contact with something like that. And, and so Mary hears this news and Luke goes on in verse 38 to say, She responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. So Mary is obedient. Joseph is obedient. You know, this story, is much of it's about Mary. Mary's kind of the central character in this story. Poor Joseph. He doesn't even get a line in the Bible. They don't even give him a line. And, and we, 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 don't, we think so little of him. For some reason in the nativity, he's holding a shepherd's crook there. He wasn't a shepherd. But, uh, but uh, Mary and Joseph together are, are together in this, and they're obedient. But where's the joy? Well, after getting the news, as we saw there, Mary heads to her relative Elizabeth's home, and she spends three months with her. By the way, you should probably let them know how long you're going to stay. Three months is a long time, especially for a woman who's pregnant herself. And she shares the news, but... For Elizabeth, this wouldn't have been so much a surprise because she was no stranger to miraculous pregnancies. Elizabeth was well along in years, the Bible says, and she got pregnant with John through the power of God. So when Mary tells this miracle story, she's actually more like, okay, you know. So while, while, while she's there, Elizabeth encourages Mary. She says, my, my baby le- leaps within my stomach at the, the fact that you're here. And Mary breaks out in a song. It's a song that is, is now known as the Magnificat. And uh, that's Latin for uh, my soul magnifies the Lord. And she sings this song. Um, it's the first Christmas song ever sung. And she sings this song about the miracle that God does, and it gives us a window into why and how Mary experienced joy despite the season that might be incredibly difficult on a social and familial level. Luke 1, 46 and 48, she says, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Why? For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Mary had joy because she knew that God saw her. Mary had joy, here she says, for he took notice of me. God sees me. I don't know if you have ever felt lost in the crowd. Uh... I think at current count, we're at like 7.8 billion people in the world. That's a few. And you feel like, how could God notice me out of all of these people? You look at Mary's story. She is a lowly servant girl. There's nothing particularly outstanding that we might notice about her. But God saw her. Let me tell you, Psalm 34:15 says, The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their cries for help. You, are, you matter to God. God sees you. You are not just a number to him. You're not just, uh, God's not just running a giant cosmic IRS up there, and he's just kind of running the numbers to make sure you stay in line, and then that's about it, and if you do good enough, you'll get to heaven and join the big crowd. Your individual story matters to God. He sees you, and he knows you. You may feel isolated and outcast and alone, but let me tell you, it's, it's interesting because nothing brings people together like the holidays, but also at the, at, on the same coin but the other side, nothing really makes us feel as acutely aware of our loneliness as the holidays as well. But let me tell you, you are not alone. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, if you go back several hundred pages, there's a woman named Hagar. Hagar was, a, was this woman who was basically a servant 
of Sarai, and she was being used as a surrogate for them to have a baby. And she began to be mistreated by Sarai severely to the point that she ran away and she ran into the desert. And God found her there while she was by a well. And he intervened in her situation and he met her where she was at. And here's what God says in Genesis sixteen thirteen. It says, thereafter, Hagar used, God met her there. He spoke to her and this is what changed in Hagar's world. It says, thereafter, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. She said, you are the God who sees me. She also said, have I truly seen the one who sees me? So we don't have the privilege of really seeing God, but he sees us. We might not feel like his imminent presence, like it's just so real, but let me tell you, he is there and he sees you. And maybe you've experienced a deep betrayal by someone that you have loved and trusted, like I'm sure Mary and Joseph did. Maybe you've had a deep soul hurt, or you've been alone in the desert place like Hagar was. He is El Roy, the God who sees us. He sees you. On Thanksgiving Day, Hosanna and I took a hike. This was not my idea. Uh, (laughs) Up into the hills behind our house, and we're walking along, and we were way out there. We walked five miles, and and, and, uh, I know, trying to burn off the turkey before we even ate it. And... uh, and we were walking, and there were just birds everywhere, and, and it was just really pretty. And I noticed this, this tiny, tiny bird. It couldn't have been much bigger than a quarter, and it was hopping through, like, the, this little thicket of, of brambles. And I, I, I had this just epiphany moment. I said, Hosanna, God knows about that bird. He's tracking it. Like, that little bird that I might be the first human being to ever lay eyes on it and even notice it, but God has been tracking that bird. He knows it. You see, Jesus told the, told, told the people about this in Matthew chapter 2. 10 verse 29 he said what is the price of two sparrows one copper coin a copper coin was essentially one sixteenth of a denarius and a denarius was valued at about 20 cents so one sixteenth of 20 cents barely more than a penny the cost of two sparrows and he says but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it and the very hairs on your head are all numbered so don't be afraid you are more valuable to god than a whole flock of sparrows So God's tracking. The smallest bits of his creation matter to him. He has the hairs on your head numbered. That means he cares more about you than you care for yourself. Because I doubt you've counted your own hairs. Maybe you're balding and really do treasure each hair. I don't know. But God has every hair on your head counted. That's how obsessed with you he is. He's obsessed with you. And he sees you. And look at the next stanza of Mary's song then. Moving on in verse 49 through 50. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. And he shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. Mary had joy. The second reason is this, because she knew that God was faithful to his word. Look at what she says there. What he has done, the things he has done for me, and then she said, his mercy from generation to generation. She's looking back and marking time and marking the places that God has been faithful. She look back, looks back and remembers, God has done great things for me. And even before me, from generation to generation, he's been faithful. So I can trust him. We sing a song on Sundays that says, I'll take him at his word. I like that song. But you know what? Love is blind. Faith isn't blind. We can look back and say, the reason I believe this is because of X, Y, and Z. 
The reason I believe this is I've seen God do this, and I've seen God do that. And we mark those moments, and we say, I stand on the truth of who he is. And so we sing the song, I take him at his word, because we believe that we stand on the promises that he's been faithful before, and he will be faithful. Look at what Elizabeth tells Mary when she shows up at her house in verse 45. Elizabeth says, you are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. You believed that he would do what he said. So Mary believed that God would follow through. She recognized that God is a promise-keeping God. He keeps his promises. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the angel tells Joseph to not be afraid and to to take Mary home as his wife. Why would he say, don't be afraid? He's already committed to marrying her. What's he afraid of? The future? Gossip? Slander? So just as Mary had joy in her trust in the Lord, Joseph didn't have to fear himself because he trusted that God had been faithful to his word and would continue to be faithful to it. So what's the last words the angel left Mary with? In Luke chapter 1, verse 37, the last thing the angel says before uh, leaving her says this, for the word of God will never fail. The word of God will never fail. So over and over here, Mary knows and is reminded that God is faithful to his word, that she knew she could trust that he would follow through, that he wouldn't just give her the God baby and be like, good luck, society's going to hate you and you're going to just, it's going to be terrible. But that God would be faithful to her through this. And so uh, she trusts him with it. And these are the last lines of Mary's songs. If you look down to the last stanza, this is what she says. In verses 54 and 55, he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful for he made This promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. He made this promise to our ancestors. Mary had joy because she saw God's plan for her and through her. She said, he made this promise to us. And God has a plan and he's using it through me and in my life. You see, joy is not found through us making our plans work, but by being part of God's plan. I'll say that again because I wrote it myself and it's really good. Joy is not found through us making our plans work, but by being a part of God's plan. I I think so often we try to just force our plans through. And if I can get my plan to work, then I'll be happy. Right? But Mary's joy wasn't through forcing her plan through. She didn't beg to differ with the angel. Well, Mr. Angel, actually, I've got some plans. If you could find someone else, maybe that's in a different circumstance, that would be great. She didn't force her plans through, but it was by yielding to God's plan. And that's where the joy is found. Mary and Joseph saw what was clearly for them as a setback, right? That was a big setback. But they saw it as a setup for what God was going to do in the miraculous. God was going to work in the miraculous. He was setting it up. But it was for them what would be considered by anybody else a setback. But it was setting something up for the miraculous. And what can clearly be a setback in our eyes, God used, can use for a setup for the miraculous. For Mary and for Joseph, it began at yielding their plans, their agendas to God, and by trusting him with it. That's where it started. And it's the same for us, yielding our plans, our agendas to God, and trusting him with it. But that requires us taking ourselves out of the driver's seat, out of the writer's chair, as it were, of our story, and trusting God. So Joseph and Mary's story tells us something for sure. There's something we can definitely get out of this. Just because it's Christmas doesn't mean that there isn't going to be troubles, right? If anything, they might be a little amplified. The first time we see Joseph, he's planning a divorce. Hospitals don't empty at Christmas. Funeral homes don't close down. Marriage problems don't magically go away. 
Rebellious children don't always come to their senses at Christmas. Finances and uh, problems financially don't suddenly disappear. If anything, finances can get pretty tight this time of year. The promise of Christmas is that you can have joy no matter the circumstances, and it's all because of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 35 tells us, Isaiah was 500 years before Jesus, and he prophesied about what that arrival would look like. In Isaiah 35, he says, the parched land will be glad. He says, the wilderness is going to blossom. When Jesus comes, the feeble are going to be strengthened, the blind will see, and the deaf will hear. Where there was only misery, there will now be hope, and where there was only despair, there will now be joy. So just as it was with Joseph and Mary's story, let me tell you, God, first of all, he sees you. He sees your story. He knows you. God is faithful to his word. He will see it through. And you can be a part of his plan. But it's about taking ourselves out of that driver's seat, out of the author's chair, and allowing him to write out his plans for us. A life of joy is not dictated by circumstance. It's determined by recognizing our relationship to God, knowing that he is good and he is faithful, and that he has a plan for our life no matter what we may be facing. That's where joy comes from. That God is involved with our life. That God is Emmanuel. God with us. Did you know that's what Emmanuel means? God is with us. God is here with us. And that's what gives us the joy. No matter what we walk up against, no matter what we face, God is here. And God sent his son Jesus into this world, not just so he could relate with us, which is wonderful, but so that he could redeem us. He could save us. Every one of us, the Bible tells us, have sinned. In the book of Romans, it says the wages of sin is death. If you earn wages at a job, it's what you have earned from your work, right? What we have earned with our sin is death. No thanks, but we get it. That's what we've earned and deserved. It separated us from God. And that death is forever. It's eternal death and separation from God. But God sent Jesus to this earth to live a perfect life that we could not live. None of us have lived a sinless life. Only Christ has because he is God incarnate. And he is the one who took our sin, our failure, upon himself. Took it to the cross so that we could have our sins absolved and have relationship with God because of what Jesus, what Jesus did. He is that medium through which we have access to the Father. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14, it says, Because God's children are human beings. Raise your hand if you're a human being. Most of us, that's good. Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. That's why Jesus came. God incarnate came so that he could take on the frailty and the weakness of our humanity in laying down his life, but so that we could have eternal life. So life is available to you today because of him. Joseph named their son Jesus. Actually, Mary and Joseph were told separately that you're to name him Jesus, and Joseph named him. It was the, the time the, the, the father would name the child, and he named him Jesus, which literally means Jehovah is salvation, and salvation is available to you. It's through Jesus. That's the whole reason this is all happening. That we decorate and celebrate is wonderful, but it's about a baby that was born that was literally God in flesh. I still just am baffled by that. The speaker of the stars as a baby that would get ear infections and cry and need food and clean diapers. This was God 
But he came to live as one of us so that he could die as one of us so that we could know him. And he's alive today. And he offers us salvation. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment as we get ready to close? This life is available to you today. This Jehovah who is salvation is available to us. The Bible is so clear on what this all means. You see, we need to believe that Jesus really is the Son of God. The reason it was a virgin birth wasn't just that God wanted just a pure person, but what is, so it showed that it was not of any human construct that God's child came into this earth. It was literally the Son of God that came. It was not some person that just achieved a good enough level. It wasn't a person that just lived a good enough life, was a nice enough person, but it was God incarnate, brought into fleshly form, and lived this life for us. He lived a life of perfection. He died for us in our place. And when we confess our sins to him, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness, he offers that forgiveness completely free to us. He gives it to us as a free gift. The gift of God is the greatest gift of Christmas. It's eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we believe that God raised him from the dead and that he's alive today. Jesus wasn't just a martyr. He's alive today. And he sits at the right hand of the Father. And so right now, with our heads bowed and eyes closed, I have given a very fast overview of what our faith is all about. And it's centered on Jesus. And if that's you in this room and you say, I have not given my faith and my heart to Jesus I don't have the joy that we were talking about that Mary and Joseph experienced through uh, the fear that they undoubtedly had looking at what the future held. I, I look at the future and I'm fearful. I look at my life and I feel brokenness. I don't have the joy and the resoluteness that they did and I want that. Let me tell you, it only comes through Jesus. He is the joy, he is the peace that you can find in this season. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you say, Pastor Brent, I want to give my life to Jesus, I want, first of all, to say this is not a light decision. Do not raise your hand if you're like, yeah, sure, I want a backup plan. I'll throw some insurance in there for when I die. Let me tell you, this is a massive decision because it is a life-altering decision. It changes the paradigm of how we live because we are not just called to say a magic prayer. We are called to be disciples and followers of Jesus from this day forward. This is a big calling, so do not take this lightly. But if you say, Pastor Brent, I am ready to follow Jesus. I want to give him my life. I want to give him my heart and make him my savior and my king this Christmas season right now, starting today. Will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Thank you. I see that hand and that hand. Yes, thank you. Anybody else to join these? Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Yes. You can put your hands down. Praise the Lord. Right now, church, we're going to pray a prayer together. And again, like I said, this isn't a magic prayer. This is a prayer of the position of our heart. This is the orientation of our very heartbeat. So as we pray this, pray it with all the sincerity that you possess and the faith that you hold. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to pray that prayer, whether you've prayed it before or not, all right? Let's pray this together. Dear Jesus, I believe that you came for me. You came as a child. You lived a perfect life. You died for my sins. And you rose again. And you offer me life. And so now I give you mine. I make the beautiful exchange. I take on eternity. I take on hope. I take on joy. I take off the clothes of death. 
and take on the new garment of life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. The Bible says that heaven throws a party with those who gave their lives to Jesus today. This is a wonderful day. This is a wonderful day. Right now, we're going to respond as a church on our connection cards. This is an everybody moment. We do this. This is one of our rhythms as a church is filling out our connection cards. So if you'll go to nlcchurch.com slash connect, or uh, you can go through the Sunday links to the connect card. Or we've got the paper ones. If you don't have a cell phone or you, something like that, you can use the, the paper ones. But here's what I want you to respond with. There's, first of all, if you are new with us, I didn't mention this. Welcome. We are so glad you are here. If you don't have a place you consider your church home, your church family, welcome home. This is it. This is, we are so glad you're here. This, you will find this is the nicest church, the nicest people you will ever meet. Um, this, this is a, a place that, I meant that. I meant that. I like these people a lot. Um, but what, what we ask is if you on your connection card let us know it's your first time. We'll make a donation on your behalf. There's an organization called Feed One. It goes into the neediest parts of the world and it brings the hope of Jesus first and foremost. But it also meets felt needs. It gives food, clean water, and an education to children. So on your behalf we're going to make an or, a donation to that organization as a way of saying thank you for letting us know it's your first time. Also you can go to our welcome center back there. Just let them know it's your first time. They'll give you a gift card to our Sparrow Cafe to get a free drink on us. So we want to say thank you for being here. But Here's the response for all of us on your connection card in the comments area. You might have something we can be praying with you about. Maybe God's working on something in your life. Maybe you need a miracle. We want to be praying with you for that. Every Wednesday morning, or sorry, Tuesday morning, our elders pray at 6 a.m. over every one of these requests. We read everyone out together and we pray over them. They matter to us. We pray for those. But here's what I want you to answer also in that section if you can. Is there one of these three areas that you have struggled with? Have you struggled with the fact that God sees you? Do you feel invisible to God? Do you feel like just a number? Do you need to be reminded that God sees you? Write that down. Do you believe that God is faithful to his word, that he will follow through in his promises? Maybe you've struggled with that. You've been holding back in your finances or in some other areas because you go, I don't know if I can fully trust God in some areas. I trust him in the convenient areas or the areas that I can make up for it if he's not there. But in the areas that if he doesn't follow through, it's going to fail, I don't trust him. Maybe that's an area where you say, I need to trust God more. And the third thing is this, do you trust his plan? Are you a part of his plan? Are you letting him write the story in your life? Or are you still trying to take over that steering wheel from him and say, I've got this. There's a song called Jesus Take the Wheel. (laughs) Do you trust Jesus taking the wheel of your life? Do you trust his plan? Write those down together for just a moment. And then we're going to close with our tithes and offerings today. All right, ushers, if you will prepare yourselves. Church, if you'll prepare yourselves. If you came up and got one of those uh, support slips for William, make sure that you drop that in the bucket as it comes by. Um, I want to mention something. You may have noticed that uh, there are some buckets out in the uh, uh, coffee shop there. That's not on purpose. We aren't like trying to start a fountain ministry or something like that in the lobby. We, we have a roof that needs replaced. I want to just say thank you and Wow. Because over the last two years, our elders and our leadership said, we need to start putting money away for that roof. And so because there's been faithfulness in giving, we have put away enough money, over $20,000, to completely replace that roof. And we don't need to come... We don't need to come to you and say, we need to start a building campaign. We need to take a special offering and ask you for extra funds and money... 
I don't need to come to you and say, can you help us uh, get out some, some bonus checks for our staff? Because of your faithfulness, we have seen God providing for our church in profound ways. So thank you for your patience in the showers that are running out there right now. I know that they're going. We're waiting for the roofing company to get us on their schedule. But because of the faithfulness of God's people, we can say that it's being taken care of. And thank you for, for investing and sowing into God's house. I'm so thankful. Let's pray. We'll receive this offering, and then I'll, uh, we're going to close in some worship together, all right? Lord, thank you so much that, uh, that you are faithful to your people. Thank you for this season that we have joy, joy that is uh, unspeakable, that we can't even express it. When we truly know the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, there is a joy that can't be defined in the right amount of Christmas decorations or right kind of Christmas movie or the right kind of food or anything else, but that's found in the presence of Jesus. Thank you for Jesus, God Emmanuel, who is with us. We glorify you. We praise you today. And now we do through our giving, through this offering uh, that we bring into your house. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship together right now. Come on, let's sing joy with all we have this morning. Joy, unspeakable joy, and overflowing well, no tongue can tell. Join us for Gingerbread Wars this Wednesday. Go in peace.